Zoom in on global affairs with insightful debates and exclusive interviews. This is World Insight. Hello and welcome to World Insight with me, Tian Wei. Today we are going to focus on the latest development in science and technology. If there's one thing we learned the hard way from the pandemic is how essential biotechnology is in saving millions of lives. From rapid advances in vaccines to cutting-edge medical treatments, research and development investments have paid off. But what's the result when biotech research gets a leg up from artificial intelligence? China has hosted these R&D efforts and results could paint a better future in public health. So I ask people in the know. Alex Zavrokov, the founder and CEO of Sicilico uh, Medicine. His company develops next generation artificial intelligence and robotics platforms for drug discovery. Alex, how much the technological fragmentation we're seeing as a result of geopolitics and other factors are having an impact on the sharing of technologies at this moment regarding addressing the issue of aging from your perspective? Sure. So uh, right now we see major polarization in and deglobalization everywhere, predominantly driven by economic forces. And one of those economic forces is actually aging. So the population of major developed economies uh, is aging as well. And uh, people who are older, uh, they may not uh, think about the future in the same way the younger generations do. And uh, currently, we see that this deglobalization is already affecting many areas of our economy and technology in artificial intelligence, in telecommunications, in mobile in energy, so everywhere, in uh, automotive, even on clean energy, right? So believe it or not, everybody is trying to unite to fight climate change. Uh, But even there, we have multiple geopolitical issues. And in biotechnology, we don't see that area being affected as of yet. So we see some early birds. Uh, For example, uh, this area requires very substantial investments. And uh, when there is polarization in investment and uh, the restriction of capital flows from one country to another, uh, if you are a truly global biotechnology company, which uh, utilizes the resources and the infrastructure uh, and the best uh, quality uh, services in every country that it operates in, that area is, of course, uh, represents some difficulty. How are you addressing this challenge, trying to build hubs in different parts of the world as we are in the multipolar world? So we are trying to be truly global. So I refuse to be subject to those geopolitical winds at this point in time because our service is to the people globally. It's not to a specific nation. And uh, um, we try to avoid getting into anything related to geopolitics uh, and uh, uh, stay above uh, this trend. Uh, Most of the investors that we work with, uh, they focus on technology and biotechnology and uh, they evaluate the effectiveness and quality of the drugs that are in the pipeline. Mm -hmm. And of course, we as a company, we try to be truly global and set up uh, sites uh, internationally where we can find the best talent and use the best resources because we serve the patients at the end of the day. And uh, we also expanded to the Middle East to ensure that we take advantage of that neutrality and geopolitical um, fluency. 
artificial intelligence is one of those areas uh, there seems to be encountering enormous amount of geopolitical challenge, but at the same time, it's one of the best tools that are bringing us to the next stage. I mean, in terms of human society. So how are you looking at tapping into advantages of the development of these technologies? At this moment, what are some of the problems you encounter? Are you looking at new options to solve those problems? Sure. So artificial intelligence allows you to very significantly speed up and cost down the process of drug discovery. So very often we do not understand the mechanism of disease, uh, why Alzheimer's happens, we don't know yet, right? Uh, why many cam uh, cancers happen, we don't know yet. Also, it allows you to very rapidly discover and design molecules with the desired properties that do not exist in natural world, right? So now we are talking about AI imagination. So when you're bringing those two AIs together, biology AI and chemistry AI, and also put it on top of a robotics platform that can very quickly accelerate the validation, the testing of the AI hypotheses, we've demonstrated many times over that it significantly uh, reduces the time cost and increases the probability of success at the preclinical side. But when you go clinical, so when you start testing those drugs in humans, there you have to move with the speed of traffic. So AI allows you to go from zero to let's say 100 in seconds, so to speak, right? But then you're moving with a speed of traffic moving at uh, you know 60 miles an hour because it's a very regulated area and you still need to spend several years, sometimes a decade in human clinical trials before you put the drug on the market. So our main problem right now is that uh, a it takes you six months to develop a great AI model to solve a very significant challenge, but then it takes you a decade to validate it. And that decade also requires funding, requires people that uh, will be with you during that long journey if you are to do it yourself. We have seen different countries developing their kinds of so-called moonshot projects related to health and aging issues. How do you see approaches like this for from where you are and do you see this as bringing more fragmentation or do you see this as more uh, bringing more energies together uh, in order to tap into some of the biggest challenges that we have today i think those moonshot projects are extremely important you know the cancer moonshot project pioneered originally by the u.s uh, brought in additional more than five billion dollars into cancer research and of course, this money usually spreads around the world because part of that goes into contract research organizations that perform chemical mm -hmm. synthesis and uh, biological validation uh, in Asia. Part of that goes even into Africa. So usually it goes uh, broadly because uh, biotechnology is such a broad and collaborative field and you really need to utilize uh, the resources worldwide to uh, identify um prospective treatments for cancer. And uh, all the projects that I see all over the world, uh, mm -hmm. they usually tend to unite the uh, the countries. And there need to be more uh, projects, preferably without mm -hmm. any local and global restrictions, because at mm -hmm. the end of the day, collaboration makes, uh, uh, it's not where one plus one equals two, it's one plus one equals 100. And uh, we need to ensure that uh, there is more money going into this uh, industry 
Through three years of the pandemic, uh, people have developed uh, different understandings about their appreciation. People have developed different levels of appreciation of technologies, of medicine, and also of the issue of so-called science. Some have become more cynical. Others are becoming more believing in many of the concepts uh, when they are being informed by scientists. So how do you see this very mixed picture? What does that mean to you when you are working on your projects? So sure, the pandemic was a very important test of uh, what biotechnology can do for one disease where the entire world is focused on it. And as a matter of fact, uh, what, we've, what we've seen is that the world was not prepared and the level of technology was not there. Uh, so it shows you that in some areas like pandemics, we're not prepared and we need to invest much more into infrastructure, into uh, new technologies and actually global collaborations in order to be prepared because something like COVID can come again, right? And most likely it will. We, the world just has too many people. We're 8 billion people on the planet and mm -hmm. uh, there are some people that are living beyond poverty line and they are not getting the help they need in order to avoid diseases and avoid uh, incubating more of those uh, uh, mm -hmm. dramatic diseases. And there are many animals and we have global warming. So this thing will happen again and we need to ensure that we are prepared. Final question. There has been a lot of talk about the global south, what they need, what they aspire to do and how it will contribute and can contribute. But at the same time, we all know that most of the population in the world that needs support are actually coming from those parts of the world. So how do you, when you are trying to develop new drug, new technologies uh, that would help uh, the health of the human race are articulating questions like this. So sure, the way we address uh, the challenges of the global south and exploit the opportunities presented by the global south is first of all, we focus on the development of small molecule drugs. The beauty of small molecule drugs is that uh, they are very easy to make, uh, they are cheap, they are, you can store them for a very long time. You can administer them uh, very cheaply. You don't need to have expensive syringes if it's an oral uh, drug. And most mm -hmm. of the drugs that we try to develop are oral. Uh, so you can take them as a pill. So you don't need to inject. Nowadays, the world is struck with this anti-obesity wave of new therapeutics and most of those you actually, they are super expensive. They're, uh, they're difficult to administer. Uh, difficult to store, difficult to ship, uh, and they don't go off patents that easily, right? So many of the anti-cancer therapies are just like that. Uh, so if you want to service the developing world, you need to ensure that you can develop very cheap drugs uh, that go off patent. And once they go off patent, they're very cheap to make and can be turned into generics. So we, fo we focus on that. We also, when we uh, develop uh, biomarker strategies, when we are developing any kind of go-to-market, we're trying to ensure that all of the um, races and uh, population groups are addressed. So we need to ensure that the drug works for everybody. And if the drug works for everybody, it should work for the global South as well, even though it's more economically feasible to develop this drug and to conduct clinical trials in the US and China, uh, and maybe a few other geographies where it, uh, the, the economic uh, uh, they call the, the economic conditions allow for the development uh, and commercialization of the drug 
uh, because when you are developing the drug from scratch, you need to invest a lot of money. As I mentioned, uh, it's about $2 billion to develop a drug and a 90% failure rate, right? So, of course, you would focus originally on the uh, geographies and economies where that are willing to pay for those efforts, uh, and then you can propagate and cost down in emerging geographies. One big part of the global south is actually the Middle East. And uh, uh, that area is uh, extremely wealthy. It's currently the melting pot. That's what New York used to be in the uh, uh, you know early 1900s. So it's welcoming everybody and uh, super neutral with uh, a lot of uh, investment. And now the Middle East said that, look, we don't want to be poor, right? We are the largest producers of energy and we want to now innovate, we want to be, we don't want to be left behind. And that's why some countries decided to uh, get out of the, you know, modes where they had religious police on the streets. Uh, they opened up and uh, they started making friends with East and West and uh, ensuring that uh, they actually contribute to the rest of the global South. So we should see some wealth distribution and better health care for this entire geographical area thanks to the Middle East. Alex, I learned a lot. Thank you so much for joining us and all the best to your project. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Still to come, my conversation with Shane Tan Yao, the president of the International Congress of Basic Science, next. Discover the realities and responses to our changing climate with Climate Watch. Uncover critical issues such as the Maasai Mara's disrupted wildebeest migration and the drop in the Panama Canal's water levels. Delve into solutions for a sustainable future. Tune in to Climate Watch on your favorite podcast platform. Become more eco-conscious and take action to protect our planet. Zoom in on global affairs with insightful debates and exclusive interviews. This is World Insight. Now, my conversation with Xin Tan Yao, a world's fields medalist, who's the president of the International Congress of Basic Science. We talk about education and development of basic science in China and beyond. How do you see where we are in terms of scientific cooperation? Well, scientists in general are very happy to cooperate with each other as long as we are working for science and the advancement of science and educating younger people independent of politics independent of geography and i'm very pleased by such a uh, view and i i think all of the science who is leading the world would like to uh, work together independent of politics and I hope providing a platform for all these Greek scientists to come together and to communicate without thinking about uh, war, without thinking about borders, without thinking about economic achievements. Mm. We all focus on science. What is the nature of brainstorm that you hope scientists could have and should have today? China is in an important period for science development. Uh, for the last 40 years, we see the explosive advancement in technology in China. And there are many uh, brilliant uh, young scientists Chinese have sent to America, to central Europe, 
And many of them stay there and contributing to their technology advancement. And some of them are willing to come back nowadays. And uh, China's economic has advanced to a stage that many people feel that they would enjoy the same kind of uh, life within China relative to America or Europe. So this is another important transition point. And then education-wise, we see that many high schools in China has reached to a plateau which is comparable with the best high school in the world, including America. So these young high school students will contribute to the scientific development in the near future. And when I say near future, we are talking a matter of three or four years. Mm -hmm. So I think this is a great transition point for China. And it's rather unique among the whole world because uh, in many countries, they suffer from uh, um, budget cut and all that kind of things. And China, uh, Chinese leaders are very wise to, f to invest into basic science and technology and all that. And also the students are being encouraged to go into science. And so I think this is a very unique opportunity uh, for the whole world to, to interact, to advance science in China. And whatever product it will come out, I think will spread all over the world. And I think the Chinese leader has made that clear that China is not going to suppress the, uh, exp you know, the, the development of science and will be willing to offer to the whole world. And I think this is very important for scientific community. What are some of the frontier areas of science that you are looking at very closely these days, that you consider it as the biggest potential for the near future? Well, mathematics is certainly one of the most <laughs> major ones, besides, besides I have a mathematician, because you look at all this computer science development, AI and all this, they are largely based on basic mathematics. And any advance in uh, mathematics will be very important for, for the development in computer science. But actually, uh, fundamental physics contributes tremendously to mathematics, to technology, together. Mm. Professor Chiu, last question. Yes. You yourself yes. is a mathematician. Right. And many are looking at your role model around the world, yeah. especially here in China, many young people. Right. What advice would you give to these young people who aspired about making some contribution to science? Well, you need to build a curiosity of nature. Anything that are mysterious in nature should be explored by young students and by mature students or old men like me. I think this is very enjoyable to find out something that we do not know. We use mathematics to find out the laws, the rules behind them. I think this is fascinating. And like AI, there's something that we do, still do not know. So I hope all the students should know that, should be brought in mind. We want to find the mystery of nature <laughs> through mathematics, through physics, through computer science. Uh, there, are, there are tools, there are also basic principle, all of them are important. They are our companions. They are all together, yeah, yes. come together. I tend to see China's rise as a huge win for the world. 
The man who said this is Bill Gates, the co-chair of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. On site of the annual meeting of the World Economic Forum in Davos, I had a sit-down conversation with him, mainly for ideas and inspiration to resolve the current impasse. Can we navigate this year? It's challenging, you know, as you have various wars breaking out, people take different positions. The elections going on. Uh, elections, a lot of, you know, tough talk may come out of that, but I'm hopeful. Though in his answer, Bill used the word hopeful, I still wonder at a time of increasing division and rising animosities, hope and trust has become increasingly rare and precious. So how to rebuild them? What did we do right? And what did we do wrong? The meeting this time about trust. We know that is the toughest issue, rebuilding trust. Well, we're, we're working on common goals. And all the rich countries, but particularly uh, China and the U.S., have a lot to bring to that. You know, big R&D budgets uh, and ways they can help. In areas like climate, so both countries really have both a responsibility and an opportunity to contribute to that. So dialogue's important. Significance of dialogue is reflected through some crucial exchanges he had with China. Like this one, when he visited China and met with Chinese President Xi Jinping. It was on that occasion President Xi emphasized that people are the foundation of U.S.-China relationship. As I always say, people are the foundation of China-U.S. relations. We count on the American people. 2024 marks the 45th anniversary of the establishment of diplomatic relations between China and the U.S. Today, China's role in the world is certainly different from back in the 1970s. I tend to see China's rise as a huge win for the world. I mean, that's 20% of humanity. They today match their portion of the global economy. These middle-income countries, including uh, China and India, need to play a stronger role in world governance. As soon as I could, uh, went, went back to China and, and spoke to uh, not just President Xi, but all our, our partners there. And so as, as that kind of discussion resumes, I'm hopeful that we'll have more of the win-win type engagement. Well, the China in 1980 was poorer, actually, than India. And so both in China itself and the, and the world benefiting from China, you know, we were at a low point. Today, China's making you know, inexpensive products that benefit the world. The health statistics in China have improved very uh, dramatically. So you know, there's a lot of win-win things, uh, whether it's between Gates Foundation and China or even uh, China and other countries. You, you know, mean U.S.? Oh yeah, including the U.S., uh -huh. you know, working together on climate innovation, all of these different health challenges. The more the relationship can be about the win-win, you know, I think the better off we all are. Practice what you preach. The Gates Foundation recently announced its largest annual budget ever, $8.6 in the year 2024, to save and improve lives. We can't talk about the future of humanity without talking about the future of health said Bill Gates. During the interview with me, he opened up his backpack and took out this small box to show me the latest innovation in health. I know you've been carrying the backpack with you throughout the day. Is it heavy? Oh, no. It's, yeah? uh, 
to showing people some of the great new tools, very low-cost tools that can improve health, particularly in, in poor countries. Mm. Well, the first one here is a vaccine. Uh, this is called HPV vaccine. These are made in China, India, and the U.S. Uh, with partners. We're getting the cost down, and we've proven that a single dose can protect women from cervical cancer. Mm -hmm. So this one's uh, kind of uh, amazing because historically, only in rich countries would you get this ultrasound scan. The machine was expensive, and training the technician was expensive. Mm -hmm. Now, by using very cheap hardware and AI software, we can take a woman who's pregnant and see, and that can save almost half of the lives if you know in advance mm -hmm. who needs the special treatment. So it's a wonderful example of uh, advanced AI, but on behalf of equity. And that's all the time we have for today. I'm Tian Wei. On behalf of the team, thanks for being with us. Bye for now.